Hello and welcome to Get Flush, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. I'm Pete. In last week's episode, I shared the audio from the efficiency webinar I made with John Gadakin from Service Corps. That content was very much intended for established restroom operators who are looking to protect their margins against rising inflation. This week, I want to shift focus and talk about how to become a restroom operator. I decided to produce this episode after I received an email from Tolliver, Washington in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Tolliver is looking to become a restroom operator, and by that I mean he wants to become the owner of a restroom business rather than becoming a driver or manager for another provider. Tolliver sent me a list of questions that I'm going to use as the basis for this episode. I'll work through them and then sum up with a few more of my thoughts at the end. Tolliver's first question was how many portable toilets should I begin with? Well, there's no right or wrong answer to this question, and a lot depends on what you're hoping to achieve. If your restroom operation is a sideline venture to test the water and you're working another job, you could start with just 10 or 20 restrooms. If you're hoping for it to become your main source of income from day one, you'll need many more than that. Rather than focus on the number of restrooms, I'd work out how much I could afford to spend up front, how many hours I wanted to commit each week, and how much revenue I'd need to generate to cover the costs, give me an income, pay back any loans, and hopefully generate enough profit to let me expand and grow the business in the future. As a rule of thumb, one operator working alone could cope with up to 300 units, but that would be a really tough week if they all went out on hire. A new entrance with little or no previous experience might really struggle to keep on top of those. In that scenario, I'd suggest starting at a level you can manage, set up a really good regime and work on building a solid reputation for reliability and consistency. That way, you'll build a firm foundation for when you're ready to grow the business. Tolliver's second question was how much does it cost to start up and did you secure any local or federal grants to help you get going? I'll answer this again by saying that much depends on the way you decide to go into business. For me, there are three main pathways into the portable sanitation industry. Firstly, you could start from scratch. Secondly, you could buy an existing business. Or thirdly, you could add restrooms to an established business that already provides complementary services. And by that, I mean fencing, dumpsters, plant hire or marquees. Obviously, the size of your investment depends on the pathway you choose and the size of the operation you launch or acquire. At the top end, United Site Services was valued for sale last year at a cool $4 billion dollars. And at the other end, Curtis Ingalls at Crapper King will be able to help you find a dozen or so second-hand units for a few hundred dollars a piece. If you're starting from scratch and buying new, I'd work on a minimum budget of $1,000 per restroom, at least $20,000 for a slide-in tank, and then whatever it takes to buy the best possible truck you could afford. Whatever you decide, my advice is to spend it once and spend it right. Sanitation is a legitimate business, so I'm sure there'll be some form of start-up support, especially in the post-COVID arena. Lots of central and local governments fund enterprise agencies that offer a range of support from advice to funding and even incubator premises to help businesses get off the ground. Talk to the small business advisor at your bank and join the Portable Sanitation Association, which is a tremendous library of support materials and a fantastic network of experienced operators and suppliers. Tolliver's third question was, do I need to buy my own vacuum tank and pumper truck or can I subcontract this to a waste removal company? Well, it's certainly possible to sub-hire another company to clean your restrooms and a lot of people who run luxury restroom trailers do that because they can't justify the expense of buying their own vacuum truck. However, there are a number of issues to consider. 
The first is that other companies are likely to be very busy in the current market and they may not have the capacity to take on extra work. If they can fit you in, they might not actually want to. There's a good chance they'll see you as a threat. In my experience, most people in the industry are willing to chat, share ideas and give you information. But you could understand if they weren't willing to help a new entrant set up as a competitor in their region. If you can find another PRO to help out, bear in mind that they're unlikely to prioritise your units ahead of their own. Common sense says that they'll try to fit you in when it best suits them. This would become a real challenge if you have any cleans that are time critical, where the truck must be on site at a specific time. The next issue to consider is the cost. Now you may be able to negotiate a cheaper rate than normal, but in the current market where demand is really high, nobody needs to cut prices. It could also be hard to get the subcontractor to clean your units to the standard you require. I've seen this happen. Operators cut corners because it's not their customer. That can soon upset your client and it will ruin your reputation if it's left unchecked. Now I'm not saying that it can't work or it won't work and in the long run it always pays to have friends in the industry. But if you go down the subcontracting route you really do need to agree a contract that works for both parties. Tolliver's fourth question was, where would I get rid of human waste once the portable toilet is cleaned? The simple answer is that portable toilet waste usually gets discharged to the sewer or dumped at a local wastewater treatment plant. Now you should expect to pay a charge for this. Rates will vary, but simple dump fees are often based on volume, which is measured in cubic metres or gallons, although sometimes it's measured in weight. Some wastewater plants use a multiplier based on the total suspended solids, known as the TSS, or the biological oxygen demand, or BOD. Now those charges can soon add up because porta potty waste tends to be very concentrated and has a lower water content than regular household sewage that's flushed through the pipes. If you can get a permit to dump directly to sewer in your yard, you'll save on the travel and time costs associated with driving to the wastewater treatment plant. Here in my hometown, there are 20 operators, but only one has got permission to dump through a discharge point in their yard. I'll add here that waste disposal is becoming more and more of a challenge for PROs, so much so that the PSAI is holding a roundtable discussion on this topic for its members on December the 16th. Tolliver's next question was, is it possible to secure any government or federal contracts? As an operator, I've done lots of police or emergency calls, which are usually after hours, time critical, and they're good payers. I've done a lot of disaster response to earthquakes and a lot of local council contracts and community events. Those were often quite demanding contracts, especially where they were awarded by competitive tender where price was a factor. If you do get involved in long-term public deployments, say on the street or in parks or reserves, bear in mind that cabins in those situations tend to get vandalised. If you do win those jobs, make sure you set out the customer's liability for damages really clearly in your contract. Question number six from Tolliver was, where do you store your equipment? A secure yard is essential. Fence them with locking gates, a secure shed or a container for supplies, and CCTV cameras if possible. As I said at the start, restrooms are in high demand at the moment, and it's not unusual to see equipment get stolen. A lot of pumpers buy rural properties with plenty of space and they work from home and there are some really good cost savings to be offset there. Whether you buy, rent or lease, look for a place with enough room for you to expand. Concrete areas are better and easier to work on than gravel. A main sewer connection is incredibly helpful but you may need to apply for a permit or consent and it's really useful to have a wash pad so that you can clean your units. Question 7. Would buying bigger sized restrooms help separate you from the competition? 
Most restrooms are a standard size, but some manufacturers do produce units with a larger cabin. The Polygon Fleet is a good example. That's 24% bigger than a standard restroom. In theory, that should be more appealing to clients, but not every customer will appreciate the difference. Using a bigger unit will also affect your transport plan because each one will take up more room on your truck or trailer. That won't be too much of an issue if you're delivering one or two at a time, but you'll notice it if you deploy lots of units to an event and you can only carry 12 jumbos compared to 18 regulars. For me, a better way to differentiate your operation is to look at flushing toilets instead of open tanks. Flushers give the user a much better experience, but they do require more work. If you go for a fresh water flushing model, you'll have to carry more water and you'll collect more waste because you're adding water every time the restroom is flushed. That's less of an issue with a recirculating flusher, but they do require more work at the service than an open tank unit. Recirculating flushers use recycled wastewater to flush. You need to add more blue to those, and the blue turns green after a week or so, which means the units need to be clean at least weekly. You'll also need to flush the pump lines with clean water during the service. If you don't do that, the old waste in the pump lines will contaminate the units from the word go. Another way to stand out is to add hand basins in your restroom cabins, but again, that creates other challenges that need to be managed, not least carrying enough fresh water to refill every unit. What if you could ask a restroom user about their impression every time they visit your restroom? Would their answers be any good? Or would people want to create unpleasant reviews just for fun? Could any useful information come out of it at all? Airvote sees thousands of such responses from restroom users every month, and our answer is 54. What's 54? It's a percentage of positive responses where the users simply say, thanks for a clean facility. To the operator, it means peace of mind. Plus, more happy reviews on Google. Try it out and see for yourself. It's the fastest way to connect your customers to your business with three easy-to-use QR smiley codes. That's it. Learn more at air-vote.com. Question number eight was how should I market my company and should I use social media to target specific customers? Some restroom companies have great marketing campaigns and they manage their online presence really well. Others don't have any social media whatsoever. I personally would start with a website, nothing too complex, and I absolutely would not publish my prices online. Social media helps, but it has to be consistent and up-to-date because nothing will undermine your reputation more quickly than a Facebook page that hasn't been updated since 2015. When I started Get Flushed, I described the market segments or types of customers that use portable restroom services. I identified five main clusters. Home building and construction, civil projects such as roading and infrastructure, events which could be anything from a family party up to multi-day festivals, agriculture and forestry, and then civil defence and emergency. I'm sure there are more segments, but these are the most common ones. A good approach for any operator is to identify the sectors you want to supply and target those customers directly. If you want to supply house builders, visit their offices and show homes. If it's civil construction, swing by the project office and ask who makes the decisions. It's all about relationships. Find the right people, gain their trust and let them know what you can supply. One word of warning though, don't try to win business by offering ridiculously low prices. Lots of restroom operators do that, but it's a naive tactic and in the end nobody wins. Not the customer, not the restroom user and certainly not you, the operator. 
A better approach is to set fair rates that cover your costs and give you a margin and back that up with great service and a can-do attitude. Tolliver's last question was, do I require any particular type of insurance to set up as a PRO? I'd say just the usual types of business insurance, public liability, income protection and asset protection. The PSAI is a great source of information for this, but you'll also see lots of insurers advertise in trade magazines like Pro Monthly. You should also remember that portable toilet waste is an infectious substance and you will need to take precautions to make sure you and your staff don't get sick. That means the correct PPE and immunisations against hepatitis, tetanus and other infectious diseases commonly associated with human waste. You can hear more about that in Season 1, Episode 3, which I called Lifting the Lid, and I'll put a link to that episode in the notes for the show. As I've said many times in Get Flushed, restrooms are in high demand and the industry is an attractive proposition which has very few barriers to entry. But that doesn't mean it's all plain sailing. PROs work long hours, they work in all weathers, and they deal with waste that most other people don't even want to talk about. As I've learnt from my guests over the past two years, it's a fantastic industry that's filled with great people providing excellent service to their clients. It's great that Tolliver's working through his due diligence before he makes any investment decisions, and I'm sure that if he does go ahead, his business will be a great success. Okay, that's all for this week. There are two more episodes left before the Christmas break. Please visit podinbox.com slash getflushed or use the link in the notes to leave a message if you'd like to ask me a question or give a shout out to your team. And drop me a line if you'd like to appear on the show, sponsor an episode or advertise on Get Flushed next season. Again, there's a link in the notes, but my email is pete at getflushed.online. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast.